Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dealership Fix-It podcast. It's Brian Croft, and today I'm here chatting with uh, an old friend. I guess at this point we'd be considered old friends. Uh, Michael Masaurus from motohunt.com and uh, atvhunt.com. Um, Michael, welcome back. Um, we've, we've chatted before. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Great to be here again. Absolutely. It's wonderful to have you. You're, you're a man of, of much knowledge on the, on the technical uh, things that are very confusing <laughs> to the average uh, person. And, and my, my assumption is to the, to the masses at, at our dealership audience. So great to have you. I appreciate it. Great to be here. I was going to, you know, I think, you know, you've been on this before, and if somebody wanted to go back and listen, you know, I don't want to be too redundant, but uh, assuming that um, someone listening may not have heard when you were on in the past, um, I'd love for you to tell a little bit about who Michael Masuris is, what Moto Hunt is, um, but a little bit about uh, what brought you to, you know, this, to us, to the to the business that we're in, the motorcycle business. Um, if you wouldn't mind doing that. Of course, yes. Uh, so the, the, the brief intro is uh, of, uh, I live here in San Francisco with my family. I've been here in the U.S. for uh, almost 20 years now. And uh, my initial career here and uh, work was around the tech industry, which is uh, very dominant in the Bay Area that we live in. And uh, I worked in some companies that uh, you might have heard of, uh, you know, like Google and Yahoo and some small startups. And all these jobs were engineering jobs. And uh, at some point about five years ago, I wanted to to do something in the, in the space that I was a little bit more passionate in. And uh, PowerSports was definitely that space. I really enjoyed uh, riding motorcycles, reading about motorcycles, talking about motorcycles. and. Uh, and uh, I thought, well, uh, maybe I could combine my, my technical knowledge at that time and uh, industry knowledge with with something I'm passionate about, which is motorcycles, and create something new. And that's where that's how Motohan was born. And Motohan um, is a Han is a marketplace uh, for for power sports vehicles. We also have ATD hands that come, as you said, and uh, we advertise ATDs and UTDs there. And we also have a premium product for our passport dealerships that help them manage their inventory and uh, price their inventory, most importantly, so they get the most out of it. And uh, those are offered on our website, and you can go see at any time uh, what's available. So um, that's what we're doing uh, right now. We're growing the site, and we're growing our customer base, and, uh, and go on the site to see what's uh, on offer. Well, I've been there lots of times, so absolutely. And, yeah. um, and, and, and Moto Hunt definitely has um, a massive amount of bikes on. I think, um, I think for people who I've talked to who didn't know who Moto Hunt was, I think the assumption was it's a small you know, marketplace and it's probably got a small amount of product, and that's definitely not the case. So I know, I know you don't want to make this a commercial about Moto Hunt, but it, I think it's important that from the get-go, um, you've, you've done very well with... Uh, making a great search engine, um, you know, obviously for dealers, it's a lead generator uh, site, but uh, works works great and a whole lot of product on it, which is probably you know how you've gotten there. Yes, exactly. We waited, we invested a lot in that, and uh, if you are trying to find a passport vehicle, uh, you wouldn't be missing out on inventory if you went to our site. We we'll definitely cover 
uh, a lot uh, and most of the inventory available in the U.S. So it's a good destination. You and I have already talked about this next topic I wanted to make sure to have you on about, but with your technical knowledge and, and obviously the the uh, behind the curtain, you know, uh, visibility you have on different pricing models and, and, and these different things, but this uh, these FTC sort of rules, I guess, I don't know if that's what they're called, that are coming, mm-hmm. that... Uh, I know you had uh, been on a, a recent Zoom call about it and, and listened to a lot of compliance stuff that probably would put a lot of guys to sleep. I wondered if that was something you could shed some light on. What you know, what is going on? What's the FTC rules or these different compliance issues that are coming up? How will it affect you know, these dealers that are in the audience that are listening right now? Uh, what, what do they need to know, basically? Oh yeah, the, the the FTC rules are definitely the hot topic of the of the, of the time. And uh, so the FTC proposed some new rules. They call them the Motor Vehicle Dealers Trade Regulation Rule, and uh, came through uh, uh, this year. And they, it has been open for comments on the FTC website, and uh, it's been very popular. Actually, there there has already been eight thousand comments. Uh, on that rule and uh, by the general public and also from dealerships and other organizations in the industry. And most of those comments actually appeared in the last week or two. So there has definitely been a frenzy to, uh, to you know, pitch in before the comment deadline ends, which has, has now passed. And um, from what I read about it, uh, you know, the meta point is that uh, most of the FTC commissioners seem to be on board with these rules. And there's one objection from one of the commissioners so far, which, however, is of a generic form. So the objection is that all these regulations have unintended consequences on industries, etc., which is a very well-known thing about regulations. But nonetheless, I don't know how strong that objection would be to to make the rule go away, uh, the proposal go away. So, um, so as I said, very popular. Everybody commented on it. We commented on it too, Monohan, as Monohan, and we we kind of tried to add some nuisance to those rules and uh, prevent uh, some, uh, you know, not any unintended consequences that are kind of uh, uh, obvious to us. Um, and uh, those rules are really kind of permeate the entire online experience and interaction between customers and dealerships. And they apply to all sorts of dealerships, uh, sorry, all dealerships that sell vehicles. So passport dealerships are definitely you know, included in those and covered by those rules. So, um, I mean, if you, if, you, if you look at them, they, 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 they have some two or three different areas that they cover. Uh, and uh, of course, a lot of emphasis uh, is about uh, price disclosure. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a well-known fact in our industry, right? When you read uh, an advertisement or online about a vehicle, and there's a price associated with that ad, that price is not the price usually that a consumer would pay to obtain that vehicle when they come to the dealership. And uh, that discrepancy is what the FTC is trying to, to address uh, by a section of the proposal that's called the prohibited misrepresentation. So they define this price as called an offering price uh, in a document. So the offering price is um, the full cash price for which a dealer uh, 
will sell or finance the vehicle to any consumer, excluding uh, government charges. So only government charges are, are allowed to be excluded from that price. And notice the, the, the verbiage and the wording there, Brian, is any consumer. And one of the things that they point out is that that price cannot be a discounted price that only applies under certain circumstances and to specific people. So it really has to be the price you are willing to part with as a dealer um, uh, with your vehicle for, and uh, and it has to apply to anybody who can, you know, walks in your dealership or message you um, about the vehicle. And, uh, you know, as you'd expect, the regulations and the, those rules are quite, uh, I'll try to get to the, trying to get to the, to, to the nitty gritty of how that price is advertised because the devil is in the details, right? And uh, in order to, I think what they're trying to do is uh, avoid playing games around the disclosure of these prices and how they're disclosed or, or et cetera, et cetera. So really kind of what they say is that if you have any, you're not obliged to disclose the price, of course, right? Uh, you're free to not to. But if you do disclose the price, that offer price has to be prominently displayed in relation to that advertisement. And um, you can also include a, a commentary whether those terms are related to financing, leasing, or cash uh, uh, offers. So you, you can make that disclosure there and say, oh, these are only you know, cash offers or uh, finance offers, right? Financing-based uh, prices. And uh, the other thing that they, they do is also try to put a stop to kind of like advertising, uh, you know, false inventory. So the, the vehicles you advertise online have to be available at your dealership. And um, they want to, you know, clamp down on, on people who advertise some vehicle that looks very appealing. You get a customer contacting you. And uh, of course, you say, oh, that vehicle is no longer available, but we have all these other things. And you, you start a conversation that way, right? So it's kind of like a bait and switch almost. Um, so the availability rule tries to address that. So you have to advertise vehicles that are available. And if you advertise a price, it has to be the offering price clearly displayed. And you can, and you can also you know, uh, explain what terms. Um, and these are... And the this other... Yeah. I was just going to jump in. I don't want to take you off track too far, but I was just going to say this is something that is in sort of the, you know, discussion period or comment period, whatever you had uh, called that. But um, but this is something that they would like to have implemented some form of this what, next year. Is that what it, it would be for timing? Yes. Okay. So literally the comment period ended this week, I think, or last week. Okay. And uh, the intent of the FCC is to put these rules into to turn them into actual rules from a proposal in the beginning of uh, 2023. Okay. So I, I don't think anything will happen in the next few months, but uh, it's definitely uh, the vote is coming. And from what I said earlier, it seems like they will approve it because both most of, most of the FCC commissioners are for it. And if you look also at the comments, Brian, uh, you know, the, 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 the majority of the, vast majority of the comments is, from consumers who are uploading this move and uh, urging the FTC to vote for this. So I think there has been a little bit of animosity 
maybe uh, between consumers and a lot of uh, dealerships and that kind of has boiled over to, to the point where now and um, so I, I think a lot of this will pass okay and, and this seems like it definitely I know that mentally I think this is perceived as a heavily automotive issue right but it's you know broad stroke painting all dealers into a bit of a corner and having to understand what what's going on with this but um there's definitely i i see you know i've worked at dealers and and worked with dealers on a lot of different um, fronts and i see the complexity you know dealers you know a lot of times have some struggles with getting their inventory even up and live and then it's up and live but it's uh not with real photos and it may not have all the information and it's automated and the, and the automation process sometimes going through multiple sources um you know it's an area now where um you know this conversation i think the reason i wanted to make sure we had it was just because it, it can be a huge issue where dealers think you know to have something priced incorrectly on a you know a new unit for a manufacturer that you represent in the market you can get you know your your uh your dings, your dings from that, but um, this could be a whole lot worse than that. Indeed, indeed, and I, I and that, that is exactly the point we raised with our comment, which was that uh, you, you know you don't want to pull down or uh, put a stop to the entire you know online operations and online advertising that dealers perform, right? That 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 serves. An extremely valuable per, uh, you know, service and uh, purpose for consumers. So, um, you know, our, our, our approach and our nuisance was like that. That is fine, but there has to be some leeway as to, you know, when it uh, comes to mistakes that some someone might make or time that it takes for all of this stuff to appear correctly. Right. So, you know, we often see. Or our platform, like some dealer will, might advertise a bike or a unit and they forget a zero, like they literally forgot a zero from the price. And they realize that and then they add the zero. Well, you know, based on these rules, if someone took a photo of that ad uh, or, you know, a screenshot of that ad during that day where the mistake was up, the dealer is now obliged to sell them the vehicle of 10, 10 times less. And I think that's a silly, right? That's, that's not a. Right. So uh, we, that's why we urge the FTC in our comment to 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 say that in in time, in a reasonable amount of time, all advertisements and materials you have should be correct. But it is not at like at any single time you cannot make mistakes or have things lagging a little bit. And uh, otherwise, it's too sclerotic and it doesn't really serve the its purpose of serving consumers. It's just makes dealers nervous and thinks that the good dealers and people behave correctly and, and, and put a stop to this whole, uh, you know, online thing. So yeah, it has to be nuisance. Well, that's, you know, I think we all know that that, you know, regulation and, and those who do the regulating, they, they like to regulate. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they definitely would want to say, yeah, okay, let's, Everything has to have, you know, everything that you can only put up products that you have right now on the floor. Well, I don't think that's unreasonable, but <laughs> the times and the way yeah. things are going right now, we have a lot of dealers that have a lot of things on order, right? So their websites a lot of times will exactly. automate that, you know, through their DMS to their website and to third party platforms like Moto Hunt and the things live and visible. Mm -hmm. um, maybe what? To have an indication that it's on, on order? 
I don't know if that would be something that all of a sudden the FTC in, in this per- sort of particular case, what they might come out with would be that's an issue for them. Obviously, that's still what the consumer would like to know. Okay, that you know this if, as long as it's represented in that way, which I know a lot of them aren't currently. We could peruse anybody's marketplace pages and things right now, and you know that um, there might be Indeed. a whole lot of units that <laughs> they don't have, and they might not even have an ETA on. You know, but they're they're showing, and I and I get where that's not right either from the eyes of the consumer. They they want to sort of get to that middle ground, but uh, I get nervous about regulation because, you know, they don't generally do just the right amount. They go a bit excessive, so it ends up being... Of course, of course. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. You you nailed it, and there's so many pre-orders around right now that uh, what does it mean for it to be available? It it is available. I mean, uh, as you said, the regulation is really core. The only thing it says is, you know, it uses the word available. Um, So... You know, on the other hand, as you said, it, it could be a, a good, uh, you know, push. I mean, we've seen dealers who advertise the entire new catalog of all the brands and the lines they carry as inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that goes all the way to the other side as, as a little bit of a misrepresentation. It isn't clear if that's pre-order or not. And right. um, so, yeah, sure, that that, that should be, um, I, I don't know about that practice. Um, so that, that's where the also comes the, the issue of like timeline comes in, right? I mean, as a dealer, you're not on your computer, on your DMS all day managing your online inventory because then you would be bankrupt. You would be failing as a dealership. You have your own schedule. You have your time when you do things and you might go at the end of the week and you know tidy things up, remove things that are sold, et cetera. Again, this should not be a dingable offense. There should be a leeway of, yes, things that go away, go away within a number of days. It it shouldn't be black and white. Mm -hmm. And that nuisance is uh, missing from this rule. Well, you know, whether it's, whether there's there's reason built in, I guess, is the, you know, like I say, that's, I just know that that's, it may be very extreme. And then of course, you know, all the dealers will pay the price, but you know, I think the bigger issue is like we're talking about then the consumers lose because like we all know, we all want the power of clicking on a whatever, your phone or your, your computer and going to Google and keying in, you know, buy a whatever motorcycle near me, get all the results, go to the aggregator, go to the site that's got everything so you can do a little bit of comparison. Okay, what all's out there? We, we all expect that in the process as consumers and obviously if a whole lot of these need to be zapped or missing information like price because, well, geez, what price do I even put on there? Because less the government fees, you know, I don't know. Does that include, you know, freight and does that include setup? I guess it does. Right. So those all have to be included and yeah. dealers will Definitely. probably just like, you know, a lot of the dealers did with their new product. If, if you're a Harley dealer, you know, we, we know that a lot of those with new units would get, a bit of a uh, scare to the heavy hand, so they would just everything was you know call for price. Um, you know, I don't exactly. Know consumers that, hate that, that might end up happening. <laughs> exactly, and that will be against the consumer well-being, right? You absolutely want to know price. So it's a, it's, a, it's definitely tricky. Yeah, they, they they also, I mean, the rule also imposes the surprisingly gets into the nitty gritty of the interaction itself, right? So it doesn't just say abstractly that the price has to be displayed, etc. But 
it uses language to the tune of if you are asked for an, an offer price, the offering price, as they call it in the rule, by a consumer in writing, you have to disclose that in writing. Um, so, you know, things like um, you're asking for a price and you get the response, oh, come by the shop and we'll talk, right? That's not permissible according to this rule. I mean, you can say that, of course, but you also have to disclose the offering price. And um, they've got to put it in writing, right? That's what that's that's requested. Yes, if you're asked on an email, right, or in writing, you know, what is the price of this vehicle, you have to disclose that in writing before the the consumer has to physically come to your store. And um, and uh, then, uh, of course, they talk about add-ons. So that's another another area. So the add-ons are based on the definition services and products that we sell to the consumer while the deal is being you know, negotiated. And that is, uh, those add-ons are on top of the offering price, of course, because as we said, the offering price is what you mandatory have to pay in order to, to basically part of the vehicle. Uh, sorry, to receive in order to part of the vehicle. Add-ons are optional. Um, but here are the rules for, for add-ons. Uh, apparently, according to this proposal, you have to list your add-ons on your website or somewhere where you can link to. Um, so the prices of those add-ons also have to be available online. And in the any offers you make to the consumer, you have to, to add the line that says, you know, all those add-ons are optional and are not required to, for you to purchase the vehicle. And... And then, funnily enough, uh, they did make a point, and I think that's even more contentious about uh, unnecessary or uh, add-ons that do not provide no be- any benefits, and uh, apparently they are banned. And uh, now, uh, yeah, that's a, that gets a little bit of really, and because who, who, who's there to say what provides benefit or not? Right. I mean, the example that they give, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. They apparently. Uh, uh, someone was offering uh, a dealership was offering nitrogen filled tires, um, which ended up after being tested not containing any more nitrogen that the air contained. <laughs> uh, so uh, those little shenanigans are basically targeted, but um, it's a little bit of a kind of one. This one, because of course, again, who defines what is a, an appropriate uh, add-on? Maybe. The person who bought the nitrogen-filled tire went to the bar and talked about the nitrogen-filled tires with her friends, and they had a great time, and they bonded more, and now their life is better. Uh, anyway, we're getting too philosophical yeah, now. Sure, like but, they, they uh, built a, perceived, the perceived, you know, have a, 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 a court case uh, precedent for perceived value. Uh, perceived value may have been zero. Exactly. It was increased to this dollar amount. Like, you got to be able to prove it. Or <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah. So those are the, the, the add-ons. And of course, uh, there's heavy talk about itemized uh, offers, right? So the the offer you make someone has to be itemized. The offering price has to be prominently displayed, along with any government-required surcharges and optional uh, services like add-ons have to be separately itemized uh, as well. And the offer must be signed by the consumer and a dealership manager, apparently. I don't know what that means, but okay, fine. Um, and the offer uh, has to be clear and without any other non-relevant information. And uh, I think that uh, kind of alludes to uh, too much 
paperwork, right? So you, you give someone some numbers and it's buried in between all this other information about this process or the vehicle. And they repeatedly say during this proposal that those, those statements have to be separate by themselves and not be, you know, polluted with all these other confusing stuff that you might give uh, to consumers. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, those uh, are the pricing uh, related. Yeah. Okay. And so is there anything, you know, uh, is there anything right now that it, any action that a dealer could or should take? You said the comment period uh, is closed, so there's really nothing but wait, but is there any sort of planning, any sort of where, what do you, not like you've got a crystal ball for it, but if you were to imagine what could happen or what you feel like might be likely to happen, um, what should, you know, dealers be doing right now in sort of the planning phase for assuming something's going to happen regarding this? Um, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't know if someone should take action right now. <laughs> Uh, I will say that uh, for various reasons. The first is you don't know what is the final text and regulations going to be. The second reason is that once we know more about the final text and regulation, I'm sure that you will be there will be a lot of services uh, that you can uh, use online and uh, you know a consultant etc. That you can consult and information online about what are these changes really and what what do they entail for you. So right now, you know, in order to take action, you have to go read carefully those 200 pages of the FEC proposal and kind of tease out the real rules, right, and what you're obliged to do. And I think that's premature. So um, the, and the third point is that um, even if when they launch these rules, they do have grace periods with this stuff usually. So you can launch a new regulation for an industry on day one, on Monday, you're not going to get a complaint on Tuesday and, you know, go after someone without some, uh, uh, some you know, giving them some leeway and, you know, informing them of the situation, warning them or something. So there will be many months until, until we, we see, I think, the FCC actually clamping down based on these rules. So uh, my, to summarize, I, I think it's a little bit premature now. Okay. I don't know what you would go do. Okay. Well, that's um, that's better news than, you know, for me, I'm thinking like, Jesus, there's something they should be doing, like some action in terms of, you know, making sure that your system, like I imagine, you know, you know, dealer, uh, you know, the folks doing the administrative uh, side at the dealership and putting in units into their inventory system into the DMS you know, do they need to start having different fields more accurately audited, you know, that, that every field behind the scenes that has costs associated and all those things, because maybe that, that data will have to be, you know, the, from the website providers, maybe eventually that will be all plugged into different fields to be visually done with, with automation. I, I'm just kind of talking out loud. I don't know, but it's better, I guess, in my mind from what you're saying that, you know, it's premature to do anything right now with it. Just understand it and be ready as we go into the new year for, for some changes that will probably be overreactions uh, from some bad actors, right? It would be overreactions maybe. And also you don't know what's going to be the rule, the final rule. So um, I think if anything, if there is one thing to do is to, well, you know, if you know what's not coming, what is going to be your strategy? You know, what's your intent, at least? You can figure that out and uh, and then act accordingly when the time uh, comes. You will have the time 
Uh, I, th- I think if you hear anybody saying, oh my God, you have to start now early and you have to hire us to save you from this. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't know if that's, uh, that's urgent and I wouldn't be um, so keen on it. Uh, but in terms of uh, what your intent is, sure, you should figure that out. What is going to be your strategy in this new world? Okay, fair enough. I think that's smart. And, um, you know, yeah. you and I have talked separately about, you know, pricing and what's going on with uh, with prices and, and some, from your perspective, I mean, you, you know, we get to see behind the scenes a whole lot of um, um, variation, obviously, in pricing, but... Um, Maybe that's something you can talk a little bit about is, is what, you know, what's going on with pricing right now? What's the lens through which, you know, you look at it and, and can make, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we, we have a lot of information on uh, pricing. We, of course, in Monohan, that's one of our primary uh, tools we offer to dealerships. But uh, apart from, uh, you know, unit by unit pricing, we also have aggregate information and we see trends. Uh, across used and new vehicles and also across different styles and types of vehicles. So, you know, what we, we've all known that we were running in a really, really hot market for the last two years. COVID made things, uh, made demand, made demand explode. And, uh, what we're seeing currently, and also that's because of the, you know, the, the winter season is coming. Uh, we, we see a little bit of a cooling down of uh, price increases. So it is true that year over year, uh, uh, inventory and uh, uh, prices uh, uh, prices have increased year over year, uh, specifically on used vehicles. So there's been around a three to five percent increase in used vehicle prices, and. Um, uh, inventory has recovered a little bit on used vehicles, much more on new vehicles for sure. And uh, and uh, for new vehicles, the prices are a little bit uh, flat at this point. I don't think the manufacturers are doing any more price increases. Definitely not now at this point. Uh, but they, we've gone past that. It, it seems so. New vehicles definitely see a lot of inventory increase and a slight price decrease if you want or stabilization used is still going there is a small inventory increase and also there's still a, a small a price increase but i think that's behind us brian from from what we see the, the number of increases that we see have fallen down dramatically uh, of unit increases right so that's when uh, someone advertises a vehicle and they update the price upwards we, we don't see that anymore happening. Um, so definitely those prices have uh, stabilized now and uh, have reached the plateau. It's uh definitely goes back to the basics and I know it happens and it's happening everywhere, you know, whether it's in the real estate world or, or here or automotive or a lot of, you know, it's a sub- supply demand. Plus there's additional issues with the economy and rates and, and other things, but yeah, you, you can't, you can't keep it that, um, you know, the ultra, ultra premium added to a, a sticker. Um, you know, if, if there's no product uh-huh. and there's waiting buyers lined up and if one lessens and, and, you know, one lessens a little bit and the other one increases, then obviously it's, you know, I think that definitely probably bodes well. You know, I know, I know dealers love 
the situation that they've been in with um, being so highly demanded that they get to have that premium added to the price. But it sounds like, you know, it's cooling and that's no surprise. Anybody in the, in the business or working in, in retail settings like this, will 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 know that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And uh, I'm sure if you work in the shop, you will, you will see that uh, happening. Um, interestingly and ironically, if you wish, this kind of, bodes well with the FTC regulations that are coming up because if prices are cooling and uh, surcharges are being eliminated, then the prices advertised online will be closer to what a consumer will pay at a dealership, minus any government fees, of course. And so that makes it easier to adhere to these regulations, uh, if that's any consolation for, for dealers. And... Um, and uh, we also see, of course, another aspect of this is that different styles of vehicles uh, exhibit different behaviors. So I think we've all heard about adventure uh, motorcycles uh, and vehicles uh, being uh, very, very popular. And we, d- we do see that. I mean, the, the, the price increases we see for used adventure bikes year over year are now over 10%. And um, which is a pretty uh, healthy uh, number, even though inventory also has increased uh, reasonably for adventure motorcycles over the years. So I think that reflects that the fact that these price increases are uh, caused by the popularity of this style in these motorcycles rather than demand and supply issues. Yeah, I think if there's if there's one category that that could happen within it definitely has been that one you know in terms of how hot that sort of segment is and its likelihood to bring you know people back into the dealership or those who hadn't had a motorcycle off the couch you know it's definitely the one where like you say even even though if there's supply increase but the pricing still remains at a premium that's not like i say surprising i don't think any other categories could probably do that right now could they uh, we don't see anything that is obviously, as I, as I said, there's, there's a, a 3 to 5% across the board increase, and that applies to almost all other uh, styles. But, uh, you know, in general, off-road bikes like your sports, dirt bikes, and adventure, which are hybrids, as are your sports, of course, uh, do do show like uh, they're outliers uh, in that respect. Mm-hmm. It's uh... And... Um, yeah. No, I was just going to say that. So, uh, yeah, it's funny because in automotive, I'd always heard stories like that pickup trucks, you know, they, they, they could be oversupplied and the economy or the gas prices could be through the roof and like pickup trucks still demand all the money. I don't know if, you know, I, what's behind yeah. that exactly, but it seems to be a similar scenario. Exactly. Yeah. I think this whole pandemic, uh, right? Push people, uh, you know, change a little bit our point of view and push us outwards towards uh, the outside, nature. And uh, I think all those vehicles uh, can allude to that uh, lifestyle and uh, they really benefited from it. Mm -hmm. So uh, from what we see here also on the statistics, so I I don't know if you know or I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a widely known thing. So a, a mean advertised list price of a used motorcycle at this point. And uh, that includes trikes, by the way, and also reverse trikes, so three-wheelers. Mm-hmm. And so that uh, hovers uh, around $14,000 at this point. Mm. 
Uh, and as I said earlier, it's three to five percent uh, uh, different. Uh, sorry, increase from from, from a year ago. Uh, however, and um, it's important. The median price uh, uh, is still around eleven nine nine nine. So the median price, uh, kind of a quick stat. Um, uh, primer was this: uh, if you take all of the vehicles and you kind of put them in order of price from the cheapest to the most expensive, and you take the vehicle that is in the middle, that's the median price. Uh, the average price, right, the mean is you take all the prices, you add them together, and you divide by the number of vehicles. So so what's different, right? The, 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 the average price is more susceptible to outliers. So if you have a lot of very, some very, very cheap vehicles or some extremely expensive vehicles, in that second case, the average price will be uh, more than the median price, and that's what we, we have here. So the, the median price is unchanged at twelve thousand, which means you kind of you can still get a reasonably priced. And uh, there's not a big change from last year when it comes to the availability of vehicles at a reasonable price. But you, we also see now many more expensive, luxury, you know, uh, bigger bikes. Um, and so you can think about, uh, you know, the, the CVO lines, very expensive Harleys, or uh, very, very souped up adventure bikes like the BMW 1250, the KTM 1299 that are packed with options and go for prices that like 10 years ago would be crazy for motorcycles, right? right? You sell a motorcycle for $40,000 right. or something. And do, do um, uh, Vanderhalls fit in that category? Because I know they're yes, indeed, you know, of, indeed, yeah. yeah. So uh, reverse strikes, strikes, and motorcycles, yep. yes, but not ATVs and UTVs. Of course, that's a different mm -hmm. uh, category. Yep. Yeah. So uh, definitely, there is uh, cooling going on, and uh, yeah, again, it's difficult to detect, right? Because we're in September, and there's a cooling going on uh, every year in September. Mm -hmm. But um, just to summarize things, yes, yeah, year on year. September to September, August to August, if you wish. There is a slight increase in uh, used, car, used motorcycle prices, and it seems like um, uh, new prices are, are, are more like plateau identical at this point. Okay. Yeah, that's um, that's good insights. I, 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 you know, obviously, I used to work at NPA at, at one point, and and I do occasionally see their. Um, sort of their newsletter or their updates on on pricing, um, and I haven't paid attention to it recently. But I, I have to imagine that in the wholesale side of the business, they that um, would play out. Obviously, with with how much data you're looking at, it's you know everywhere, all the way across the country, and every everything that's out there shown to be ready to retail. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> we um yeah we were talking about some other uh, topics, you know, to do with um leads and lead management, uh, you know, that it can be a really deep subject, but, um, I think about things like, you know, my, my years of interacting with dealers, uh, you know, working for some sort of lead provider and having discussions of, well, that wasn't really a lead, you know, but at a basic level, mm -hmm. uh, understanding that, you know, when a, when a, um, you know, if somebody walks in the door, um, you know, they're ready to buy, they're an up, you know, they're, they're an opportunity in that same way when a, a phone call comes in or an email lands in the inbox, 
with specifics of this person would like to be contacted about this machine. Obviously that's a lead. Um, what, um, what are you seeing mm-hmm. in regards to leads um, from your perspective? Well, uh, we, we, we definitely see, uh, you know, from our perspective, there is a little bit of schooling in, in, in leads as well. And, uh, uh, but not really uh, alarming, uh, I have to say, but uh, <clears throat> When it comes to leads, because we, we, we do that every day, of course, in Monohunt, we have learned and we have, uh, at this point, at this point we have used and the, the lead system of every, pretty much every dealership in the country. We've been to their website and we've left uh, leads for them manually, uh, our staff does that. So we have experience and in every, pretty much every single DDP that's out there and lead form and, and over over the years we kind of accumulated some knowledge uh, that we see and uh, we've kind of cross-referenced that it's actually uh, best practices in other industries as well and um, I think uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think it will really help dealers with uh, basically uh, more uh, getting obtaining more leads from their website so yeah. uh, I think the gist of it is that uh, if someone ever lands on your website and on a on a vehicle play, you know page, the the goal should be to to try to make it as easy as possible for this person to communicate with you. Uh, so some common mistakes we see are too many calls to action is a very classic one. So you have a vehicle, and then next week you have ten links about all sorts of different facets of communication. For example, it would be like, get a code and contact us and financing options and explore more and schedule a test ride and do this and do that, right? And as a consumer, I, I, I'm not sure that I actually, I'm not sure which one to click, right? Which one is the correct one to, to just talk to you and about this vehicle. I, I'm not sure about this process. I've never done it before. I've done it very few times. I'm obviously nervous about uh, you know, procuring a vehicle that costs tens of thousands of dollars. So all of this is making me nervous as a consumer. The, the best call to actions we've, we've seen and uh, verify that uh, they work is when you don't have any buttons. You only have a form that's a tiny form that the consumer can fill in and initiate a conversation with you. So usually, um, you know, the, the call to action is learn more or check availability or something. And then, you know, you can ask for their name if you want to. I, I, I don't think that's necessary. You can ask for an email or a phone number. Again, email is much easier to get someone's email than phone number. And so I think as a dealer, your goal should be to get that conversation going. And then you can talk about all of these other things that you wanted to talk about, like financing and test rights, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely too many calls to actions and, and links and complicated flows um, hinder uh, leads coming from consumers. Um, sometimes we we see forms that are comically long. They <laughs> You know, usually phones ask you for your name or your email address. Sometimes there will be uh, a requirement to, to put in your entire address, your physical address, right? If you're, yep. if you're interested in this vehicle. Yep. Uh, and, um, and some other times, which we think is like almost like a, 
you're really torturing this person. You really don't want them to meet your lead, right? Is uh, some dealers ask for the model name and year and make of the vehicle that person is interested in, even though that lead came from a web page on the website with that vehicle on it, right? You left the lead for that vehicle, but you still get the question, oh, what, what vehicle are you interested in? Yep. Yep. So th- these are all problems that are probably have to do with the, you know, the website software and like uh, using it correctly. I'm sure that the website software does all that, but uh, configuring it correctly to basically make that process as uh, frictionless as possible is to your benefit as a dealer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, at that point, it's like a short circuit. You know, you've got, you you cause the the consumer to to look at it and think, wait, something's, wait, I already answered this. I mean, which we all hate. And like, yeah. you're, like you're saying, if, if uh, you know, if it's not plugging the two pieces at the at later date, like you'd said, it's the same way if I start a chat with any company you know, I order shoes from a place and um, something's wrong and I go to reach out to them. I've got to chat with them and then I tell them what's going on and then they ask me right after that, what what can I help you with today? It's like, yeah. I just told you that, you know? So I think consumers' expectations obviously are for a more refinement in that process. And um, yeah, obviously I'd encourage any dealers to go and put themselves through some leads and then go do it on some of your comp- local competitors to understand is my process better or worse? You know, what, what do I need to do to be one, one step or one shade better in that? Exactly. Exactly that. Yes. And, uh, if they had the statistics, I'm sure they would see, you know, there's a term for that in product management, like a form abandonment, right? Rate, which is, uh, at what point did the person stop interacting with that form? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's some people who, Filled in the form and uh, send it to you, but that's only only five ten percent of the people who watched, you know, who went to that page, and then the rest of them, what, what happened? Why didn't they they leave you a lead? And of course, the longer the form is, the bigger the abandonment rate. Mm-hmm. Earlier, uh, and uh, but but even like uh, intuitively, right? I mean, uh, again, the consumer is nervous and they just want to tell you, I'm interested in this vehicle. I kind of I like it. You, you know, you have to make it really easy for them. It's your, it's the onus is on you to sell them that vehicle now, right? Mm-hmm. It's not on them to give you all this information and and uh, persuade you that they're really a person and all that. That's that, that, that problems you have to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is a good segue to the next, which is uh, the next topic, which is often we hear dealers and say, oh, the reason we ask for all this information is because we only want people from our area or we don't want time wasters, right? And all that. And I think that point is the wrong point to filter those people out. Uh, You want people to talk to you. You want that email address, get that email address, get it into your CRM and then have the CRM use automation technology in order to filter out people that you're not interested yet. Right? So an immediate, automated response with a question that the person has to answer at that point, a very simple question or something, would filter out uh, automatically people who are time wasters and they left the lead but then went away, they wouldn't even look at it or are maybe out of state and you're not interested in them, et cetera, et cetera. So um, 
solve this problem for you as a dealer after the person leaves you their contact info, not before. Don't put a barrier for them to even talk to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, all these are available in your, your CRM. Um, so uh, the, the, the next thing we, we, we see is that, uh, you know, automated replies are great. As I said, it's a great way to filter people respond immediately, even off hours, uh, use them. Um, but then sometimes we also see uh, a phenomenon, which is that uh, the dealer again throws the ball back to the consumer for them to ask relevant questions, right? And uh, that's kind of fine, I guess. You, can, you have to ask these questions, but the point here is for you to make them want this thing, right? If the person just said, again, I like this bike, now you, you have to sell it to them. So you have to find things to tell them, to entice them and motivate them to, to come to your shop, to ride the bike or, or you know, to buy it ultimately. It, it's not a matter of asking them questions about how can I help you or what, what would you like to know, right? This kind of question is, is not very conducive to continuing a conversation. The, 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 customer, the customer usually doesn't even know what they want to know, right? They, they, they don't have questions. They just want to know more. They, they want to talk about this, this unit. And it's your job, I think, to kind of come back to them and, and bring them in. So design your, your process uh, around, around that, right? So uh, um, an example of that would be if a unit is no longer available, which, uh, well, based on these new FTC rules, that shouldn't happen, right? But anyway, let's, uh, let's assume it isn't. Uh, we sometimes see a response saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know, this, this unit is no longer available. How, how else may I help you? And I think that's such a wasted opportunity for, uh, you know, selling something else that you have in your store. I mean, again, they contacted your store, they're interested in you, they're interested in your vehicles. This is a perfect opportunity for you to sell them something else and uh, steer them towards another direction. Uh, if you just say it's no longer available and leave it at that, uh, that's kind of a hard stop at that point. And, uh, it doesn't leave room open for a further discussion. Um, so that's what I mean by your, your, your job to, to sell it. Mm-hmm. I, I see it a little bit uh, like, a da- you know, like dating, Brian, if you wish, like you're in a, you know, you're in an establishment or a barn, someone winks at you, right, from across the bar. There's obviously a protocol, right? You have to lure them in now, like they, they express interest. <laughs> it's your turn to talk. You wouldn't go and say, oh, well, first of all, let me have all your information and uh, what else would you like to know about me? You know, that's, <laughs> of course, you wouldn't say that. Um, so that's the, that's the same thing here. They, they want to be sold a vehicle in some way or something, a new toy. And here you go. Uh, it's, it's, here's my email. Basically, entertain me. Like, sell me on this. That's what they're saying. Well, yes, and I think further... Um... I don't think anybody would argue that there's a lot of people that after all the COVID, you know, a couple of years that felt like 10 years that we're, we're kind of, you know, coming out of, there's a whole lot of people that are ready to just have actual conversations with actual humans. And I know I'm all for lots of automation. And if you've got a really killer uh, messaging system, that's AI and it's really good. Um, and it routes people efficiently, and there's not a bad experience on that consumer side of it. But 
you know, like you're saying, don't, don't make it more difficult. You open up the dialogue, have a conversation. A lot of these things, instead of just demanding additional information, um, it'll come out in the conversation. Exactly. It'll, these questions will answer themselves. You just got to have a bit of a conversation for it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, Do, um, and how the process to, yeah, go on, Brian. No, no. I, well, I was, what I was going to say was in terms of, um, you know, there's been, I've had many conversations with dealers through the years, you know, and a lot of times guys are like, well, you know, this lead, I couldn't get anybody to return an email on this lead. Right. And the first question I say mm -hmm. is, did you ver did you double check the email? Like, you know, people can put in dot con, dot con like C O N accidentally very easily in their in their entry oh, yeah. of and then if you know somebody just copies and pastes it or or keys it in as is, let's use a little bit of common sense in that. But um there's been lots of conversations I've had through the years where a dealer would say, Well, can't we demand more information so that maybe I can, you know, you know, maybe a phone number, demand the phone number or, or these other pieces. And I know those schools of thoughts will change and obviously, um, you know, making the settings be as much or as little um, will affect how many come through. But um, what's, you know, to me, it's like name, uh, email, phone, pretty simple. Uh, but like you say, if you demand it, you'll have a certain washout, right? Certain people will say, well, I'm not giving all that. I'm not ready for all that. I'd, I'd have you call me, but that's it, or text me, or whatever. Yeah, we definitely see that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it really puts a stop to it. E even just a phone number on top of the email, we see it as being the biggest uh, uh, drop off there, right? And uh, on, on Monohan specifically, we do ask for your phone number because a lot of dealers do ask for your phone number, and we would like to to, to kind of put that barrier there of interest it, it's true because of that reason and um, we kind of regret it because we do see a lot of drop off and people who would put a fake phone number in really right. uh, and uh, and obviously you know five 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 nine thousand whatever and so we we would um, we definitely believe that's an obstacle and if, if, if most dealers didn't ask for it we would also remove that we don't want to have it there I mean if someone walks into your store from the street, would you have them fill up that form before you talk to them? <laughs> You're like, oh, I need, to, I need to know your name, Mr. Brian. I can your surname. Give me a surname. I can't talk to you as a surname. License and identification. <laughs> What's your phone please. number? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no. And um, and anyway, and then in the end, I think uh, measure them right. Measure them. Have a mentality of. Leads are welcome by everyone. Everybody who wishes to send us leads, they're more than welcome, right? And uh, as long as they are accounted for and accounted for, for them on your CRM, have a very clear uh, notion of source. Where did this come from? Where did this lead? And then create a report at the end of the month and every week and measure their effectiveness. And then you will see who sends you the best uh, leads. Otherwise, uh, you would either you would end up with you know only the places available to you being the you know the, the big incumbents that you know that you're gonna have to pay a lot of money to place your inventory on, and uh, and you're missing out. So so be more liberal about them. Let more people send you leads. Filter them automatically and use technology and measure them. Yeah. So have a process really by which you reply to all of these. It's very 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 clear to the entire staff. 
Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, a big fan of all of that. What you just said, so absolutely, and I and I get it. You know, to look at it from the outside, as I sit at my desk or when I walk into dealerships and have this conversation, I in person you get to see it a lot better that you've got people. You know, they might be short staffed and they're they're just trying to. Uh, get through the day and get a lot of stuff sold and, and do all of these other additional, you know, take inventory down that was sold and all that. But you're right. It's pro- I think it's just really the best use of everybody's time, you know, to take the time out and start to quantify, okay, what, you know, what, what am I getting? What's working? How can I turn that knob up? How can I turn the knob down on the things that are not working? Am I paying a whole lot of money for, for something? And it's, an okay mm-hmm. value and, and something else I'm not paying a whole lot, but I'm getting great value from. Um, these are all, you know, quantitative things that need to happen. And, and obviously at a dealership, a busy dealership, there's not a, just an individual sitting around doing that. So obviously, you know, a lot of times it's the, yeah the, the busy management that, that have, you know, 105 other things that are more important in their minds. So. That's exactly right. And of course, it has to be said, right? <laughs> All of this complexity, this unbalance is smaller dealership, unfortunately. And uh, if, you're, if you're bigger, you have the manpower to devote into doing all this. And uh, sometimes things are going to be a little bit more hectic and, uh, you know, reactive in a smaller place. And uh, that's, that's the nature of things, unfortunately. Well, I'd uh, I'd asked you if you'd uh, jump on with me for an hour, and I don't want to um, take advantage of your time. We're right at about the hour mark. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, or anything? We, I think, those are the observations we've made uh, so far. Uh, of course, you know, always uh, you're welcome to come talk to us, and uh, we'll help you out with your pricing and inventory. We have some really magical tools that are very new in our industry that were only available to automotive before. So hit us up and uh, we'll just talk about the industry or show your tools or whatever you want to talk about. Okay. And then I'll put, um, if, if it's okay with you, I'll just put your contact info and everything right in the sort of the show notes on here. But uh, obviously anybody can just go to motohunt.com uh, website and, and go into the, um, you know, the contact area within that. Exactly. Okay. Well, cool. Exactly, yes. Michael, thanks for coming on and chatting. Well, thank you very much for inviting me again. It's always fun to to do this, Brian. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of what you have going on, and I I want more dealers to know about it. And uh, I hope you'll come back on in the future. We'll talk more about more stuff. Maybe it's in the spring when all of this FTC stuff begins to materialize into what it is or isn't going to be. Exactly, exactly. Okay. We'll do another one. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, Brian.